Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Here. It's not play, but that's tape. This is addiction episode number 15. And today we are joined by the judge, Sean Florkey from Duluth. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to run into him in court. I can't really talk about that. That's some pending <laughs> oh, stuff. Can. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's personal. But, uh, but yes, we have him here today and we're going to talk a little bit about drug courts and, uh, I think that uh, I have a lot of great questions. I don't think Dr. Bell does. Ah, there we go. Whatever. Here it's we go. Um, are you sure you have the right glasses on today? <laughs> yeah, I can read everything. <laughs> you know, and I think people might ask, why did we think we should bring a judge on our little fun podcast here? But before we let you talk, because we like to talk. Right. Um, you like to talk. I do. You know, I think we chose, obviously, and for those who have watched our Echo Sean, you have a calling on our echo because the way you look. Sorry, I called you Sean, not Judge. Sean's good. I like that. (laughs) Uh, The way you talk about addiction and use disorders and everything like that is a lot of the way that you know we kind of view it in our realm of medicine, and it's very unusual. It's isn't that something? I, I every now and then I pause and I think, why? Why is it so unusual? I mean, it's it's science, it's literature, it's out there, but it's really slow uptake. People don't want to see this as a holistic brain issue. They want to see it as a moral issue, moral failing. Um, we can punish our way out of this. I, yeah. I, yeah, and I don't I think that's still, just in your side. It's, boy, on the medicine side. Oh, yeah. You we guys still are, see you it a lot. You guys are tough and harsh, I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. It can be really wicked. It yeah. can. Um, treatment so, providers can be the same thing. God bless treatment providers, but sometimes you get folks who um, really like being connected with a judge because then they got the keys to the jail. And they um, really want to. They really want to crank that jail as the solution to, you know, addiction, which we know often arises from childhood trauma and, and environment and all that. And you're going to fix that by throwing somebody in a cage, which. In all likelihood, you're mixing them with other people who've oh, also yeah. been thrown in that cage, and it's probably going to do the opposite of what your intention yeah, is. Yeah, and it's a pretty rare correctional facility in America that can guarantee abstinence and sobriety for all their inmates. Yeah. I've, okay. had, got, I've had people come in at a court from correctional facilities who are tweaking. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? I'm tweaking. Like, You've been in custody for nine days. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. And you take them out of their circumstance, they're like, you know, um, it's tricky. So how, you know, if... And should, should we should maybe, we, like, back up? Should we back up? Let's oh, back we up. Didn't, we didn't. Yeah. We, didn't right. we just kind of jumped right We got to know where you came from. Do you need to play the music again? We'll start. <laughs> no, we don't need to hear ourselves. We're going to totally start again. over because we never edit. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe we should just go back. We need to know where you came from. I mean, where'd you go to school... How do you get into this whole judge thing? Oh, so my mom says I was born to argue. Um, so <laughs> well. lawyer made sense. And I did public service law mostly, and the judge thing made a, 
made a lot of sense for the next step in public service. Uh, and then I got in here. It's just shy of 16 years, I guess. And, and I they vote. keep reelecting you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never voted for it's you. Not, it's, not a, it's not a job a lot of people want, apparently. Um, but I looked around, and, and you know, back in the day, we there was such little understanding, and people just did the same thing again and again and again, and then wondered why it wasn't working. Mm. We had no kind of understanding or assessment where people are coming from, what they need. We treated everybody the same, and so I just and I'm. I just couldn't stand it, you know. So I started looking around thinking, what can we do better? And found sure. treatment courts, drug courts, created yeah. a domestic violence court. You guys know I'm, we're starting a safe babies court. You know, these ideas of, of figuring out who this person is, listening to what brought them here, and then try and wrap around to, to help solve for that. Well, is there... So you know, can I... Uh, I'm going to interrupt you again because I'm really good at it. Uh, Let's, the, let's not have, let Kurt talk the whole time. Just you, you know, and me, and we'll bump we, him every time. Charlie Reznikoff and I try to do that each time we bring him on, too. So there's a common theme in our world lately, and it shows up in a lot of podcasts, although they'll probably not be anywhere near each other in air dates. But I've never listened to another podcast. Oh, but my Just Amanda's. Gosh. Oh, another one in general. He didn't know what a podcast was until right, we started this. Right. Um, this theme that we have lately is this whole in-a-box theme. And jokingly, Kurt has... Right, he told me about that. Yeah, this box on his wall with a dot, like, this is you. Um, Stay in the box. Stay in the box. And you tend to not have a box, I'm assuming. Right, 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 right. Except your judge box, which... Well, and that just... And it it looks weird, right? Right. I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Life is integrated, complex, organic. People are complex, organic. If you're not listening to people... How can you help them? How can you meet them? Right. Mm-hmm. So, so when did you... <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you. Well, look at that. So when when did you first even hear this whole concept of drug court? You know, I'd be... Uh, I, I, I was exposed to it. There was a drug court that had started in Duluth, so I was exposed to that right after I got on the bench. Um, that was kind of taken. So I and, and drug court... So I used the umbrella treatment court, Um and there, there are a ton of different types of treatment courts, DWI court, drug court, um, family dependency court, veterans court, mental health court, all kind of under this treatment court realm. Um, so it was right after I got started. The idea has been around for, almost, for over 30 years. It oh, started wow. in Miami-Dade. Really? Uh, yeah, Janet Reno was the prosecutor there back in oh, the day. Oh, really? Yeah, they've been doing it. Holy Minnesota's cow. behind. That must have been right around 9, 8, 1918 when the flu. Yeah, when <laughs> you were graduating from high school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was. It only took you six years, too. So. <laughs> that um, was just your senior year. Right, right. <laughs> so, it, so, you know, just became exposed to the, and there's so much research. It's the most researched intervention in in. American criminal justice, Man. period, bar none. And you, it works. So it's know, like, what's the problem here? To back up just a little bit, you said since you've been on the bench, so they don't give you a chair. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> you know I have a stand-up. You know I stand all the time. Right? What? I don't, you got one of those electronic desks? Or? I, I just think it would be... a stand-up desk. I, yeah, just I think don't it have be, it in the courtroom. I want to take my skill saw and cut a hole in the thing so I can stand, but uh, they won't let me. So I'm just I have a funny a, story about... A bench. So I was I, just thinking a bench would be bad for the back. But, right. Yeah, I okay. We... Uh, <laughs> 
it's when I was pregnant with my 400th kid, oh, I got a stand-up desk because yeah. of the same reason. Yeah. So then he got a stand-up desk because he's old. Because he's a copier. Right. And then the whole bringing a skill saw and cut a hole in something, we did that in our new building. I mean, we didn't. It showed up one day. There's this door between our offices. <laughs> Don't know how it got there. Um, but yeah, anyway. The, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So the, the idea behind treatment courts is that you do exactly what I said. You, you bring a person in. You're looking for somebody with high risk and high needs. Uh, it doesn't work for everybody. It's an intensive model. And then you just wrap around and figure out what's going on, and you solve for that. Trauma, <laughs> mental health, long-term addiction, domestic violence, whatever you got going, we're going to solve. For. Okay, so in medicine, we call that the whole patient-centered medical home model. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's this patient is the center, and we wrap all these services around. So when we started our... Um, especially our Suboxone and our addiction-type clinic program, that is how I got brought on the team because that's how I've always been trained yeah. rather than this patriarchal, old-fashioned, yeah. curt version of medicine. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, one size fits all. Here's the plan. Everybody does the same plan. If it doesn't work for you, that's your problem. And right, you like, go to jail. And, and you, you go, go to, to jail, jail or right? you get kicked out of the clinic and you go down yeah. the street to the next clinic who kicks you out. And Anyway... So it's interesting because you mentioned all the research with drug courts. And, of course, in medicine, the flip side is there's all this research and addiction and everything. But not everybody still reads the research. And that's very frustrating. So what do you do when you meet another judge or a lawyer or whomever who just doesn't get it? Like, how do you try to change that? So uh, most folks in my profession are liberal arts majors, so they suck at research. Uh-huh. Kind of by by, I, I taught a group of fifty judges from across the country. The the national fifty sent in, and I asked them. They're they're opioid judges. I said, yeah. "How many of you have hard science backgrounds?" One person raised their hand. Oh goodness! So we're not disposed. So I tell stories. Sure. I I, I share. Do you I, do it I in sure. poetry form because they're all liberal arts? <laughs> <laughs> I do it in small words because we're all dummies. No, because I, 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 humans respond to story, right? Right. So, so I think you need both. You need data, and there are some people. I've talked to engineers at like big shots at Minda, and they like turn on a dime when you give them the data about what works. Literally, I've watched people turn on a dime who are who are kind of that minded. But, but I bring stories, too. And, you know, I mean, you've met my clients. You, you mm. have heard me talk about my clients and kind of the beauty of their stories. Right. And I think, so you bring both. And if somebody won't get on board, then I don't know what and, you do. So in medicine, I mean, I'm a conundrum because I did graduate with a liberal arts degree with, you know, English and biology. But most of our profession, of course, is science-based right. people, and it's still frustrating yeah. how you, you meet that and all I, that resistance. I read books sometimes. No, you don't. Just the addiction Bible. I, <laughs> so, he reads books to his grandkids. So let's, let's back up just a little. I mean, One fish, I, I two mean, fish, red fish. <laughs> right. I'm, worried, I'm really interested in like the criteria to get into drug court yeah, or these things. And, and whether you think they're... They need to be adjusted or they've changed, you know. Great question. Uh, so I mentioned risk and need. Um, this is an, my model is an intense model. If I took either of you into my court, it would be a substantial slam on your life. The expectations we have, um, you know, if, if, if you've got somebody who's homeless, jobless, and, and struggling with substance use disorder and mental illness, 
you're really engaging heavy, right? Both on the accountability monitoring side and the treatment side. Um, it doesn't work for low risk or low need people. Risk again is the risk of uh, repeating, offending mm -hmm. again. Um, need is the treatment need. So you got to assess right. And what the way a lot of courts started back in the day was they took easy people. They took people who had a lot going on. They frankly they looked a lot like the people selecting them, and you can hurt people. You know, over treating can hurt people. Well, if I sent both of you to ninety days of inpatient right now today, that would hurt you. You would lose your jobs. You would lose. You know, that would harm you. It would make you more likely to be. Uh, struggling with substance use and reoffend. Mm. So that's that, one of the key things is you got to take the right people. I just, you know, and I never, I guess, thought about it in that regard because there are patients that we meet in our program that were like, oh, why can't they just be in drug court? And I right. think it's that reason is that they do have a job, but they still hang out with the wrong people. So in our minds, it's like get them in drug court where they have this accountability. But then I had a patient who finally finally, no, recently graduated drug court. I guess it's been about six months now. But hearing her, all of the requirements, like she needs to call before she, like, goes to the bathroom in some yeah. situations. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. like, no, that just seems totally really true. intense. And, and so it, I, it's this idea that you, you have to have the courage to take the scary people. That's who you got to take. And scary is a pejorative word. I get that. I probably shouldn't use it. But you got to take people who are really struggling which is not to say that you don't use this intervention to inform the whole damn system. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we've done in, in Duluth for sure, is we have these, we, I call them these beautiful little courts, right? I only have 60 clients or so. I mean, I don't have a ton of people, but what we're doing has impacted the whole system. We now treat first-timers differently because of what we've learned with our fourth-timers and fifth-timers. The whole continuum has changed so mm. that everybody who comes in, no matter if it's their first or their seventh or whatever, we're trying to assess you and listen to you and treat you, target you right, target both the accountability side and the treatment side so we match your needs. Do you so, get any kickback? kickback? So... You know, sometimes we hear, you know, if a patient... Kickbacks? Or, Are you, no, you not that. Strong word. No, no, not that's, kind of... That's I, only doctors. Yeah, right? not, <laughs> not that kind of kickbacks. No, like when you have a patient who, you know... It'd is, be pushback. Is pushback, there, that's there. a better word. It, that, you know, maybe has to, like, it's finally in our program, they're doing well, and then they're supposed to go back and serve time for X, Y, Z from, like, this previous offense. And then, you know, we've gotten a lot of patients with a lot of phone calls that they don't necessarily have to go back or they have to sit for less time or we try to get them because they're doing well, and right, that's the whole right, point. Right. Do you get any pushback from other people who are like, oh, you're too soft on these people. They need to do their thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. By these people, yeah. yes, another pejorative word, but I'm saying it because that's you don't their even, terminology. You don't even know what pejorative means. I can't <laughs> believe you can say that. I get all the time people who are like, well, not so much. We're one of the most successful courts in the nation. Mm -hmm. People talk about my numbers all across America. It's really hard to argue with results. Right. So bring it. I'm, I'm really willing to have that fight. <laughs> but people want to punish their way out of this. And the research around treatment courts shows jail increases your recidivism. Mm -hmm. Putting people in jail makes them more likely to reoffend. So 
this is smart. It's right. not soft. It's smart. I know that if I throw my clients in jail more than two or three days, four days, the, it starts, the numbers start to flip and they get worse. So how long did it take to get all of that buy-in? Because, you know, in our program, okay, I'm going to brag like you just did, you know, like we are successful and, you know, our recidivism rates have gone down since, you know, we were the first jail in Minnesota to, to like have the concept of staying on meds and then the first one mm, to do an induction. Right, right. It still takes time to, to get that, especially when you don't have you in Little Falls as our judge or, you know, you don't have that. So how much time do you, did it take for you to get to that point where people just respected your way of doing things? That's a great question. I, th- I would say at least a few years we had to prove ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, I came out of, I was in a position where I, I, I knew everybody in this community. I, you know, sheriff was my best friend, public defense. I, I'm really connected with folks. So there was a level of trust there. We came out of the prosecutor's office, you know? Sure. So, but then it took a few years to prove it up. And then you still, somebody changes jobs, you get somebody elected or coming in, you, you got to convince them all. You got to start over. You yeah. start over. You I know? mean, at the beginning, was it like, I think Judge Florky's lost his marbles? I bet there was some of that. <laughs> of course, you know, people are still asking that sometimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, so... It's a constant. It's a constant struggle to get people up to speed. Yeah, early on was the sell really hard. I mean, you know, here's where we're going to go. What do you think? And people are like, Ugh. I think when we decided, so so we were the first court in the in the state, and maybe some of the early around the country to take felons. So in Minnesota for a DWI, you got it. That's four in ten years. You got. I tell people you got to work hard to get into my court. And that was a scary demographic, right? Because everybody back in the day, like I said, was taking misdemeanors and first-timers and wondering why it ain't working because you're overdoing. But, but we had a thoughtful plan. We articulated. We knew the numbers. Duluth would have about 35 felons a year. We, and, and the research has proven that's exactly the right demographic because they got high risk built in and all of it because they've, they've done it again and again and again and again and again. And they've got high need as well. You know, every one of them assesses off the charts in terms of um, substance use disorder and, and clinical needs. So, so you talk about man, your, you're fast. I am. You just I'm keep good. This is this She's is good. So you talk about your numbers and your success. And so, what would you say? Well, you know these numbers. The average kind of graduation or the average success, and what does that look like compared to like your numbers? And how have you changed that in Duluth? So in, in Minnesota, typically what you see is about of 33 to 40% recidivism rate. Um, so meaning if two out of three first-time DWI offenders in Minnesota never come back, mm-hmm. and you don't want to do anything with those folks because right. they're not coming back. Don't spend your money there. Right. Don't throw them in jail and hurt, you know. Um, and then you see that as, as it moves forward, about a 30 to 40% recidivism rate. We've cut that rate by 70%. Wow. We regularly have about a 90 and 90 plus percent graduation rate, wow. successful completion. And our clients, on average, do six days in jail. And the reason they do six days in jail is because that's the statutory mandatory minimum. If they could do less, it'd be even better. We always talk to our clients when they get arrested and say, sit this six and you'll be done. You're going to successfully graduate from our program. You're going to live happy ever after. 
sit these six and be done so they never go back to jail it's crazy so, so kind of that on that same beat i got you this time <laughs> it it's like uh, yeah you know and you're going to notice uh, sean that that the questions i ask are much more thought provoking oh really yeah. I, I, so I haven't noticed that you yet. haven't noticed that yet <laughs> so you maybe know, the listener will notice <laughs> yeah. probably not so <laughs> if, if you uh if you i think you probably think that the system that you're running now is pretty good but there's got to be things that you think I wish I could change this, but it's it's not there. There's no way to do that. Maybe the the law doesn't allow that. What would you like to change most about the way that drug courts run at this moment? Across the land, what what we need to really get after? Okay, first you got to fund treatment, right? You've well, seen that. Again. You got fund treatment. You've lost your marbles. Get, get <laughs> solid treatment, solid options. Get sober housing get there's so much need in our communities along mm-hmm. those lines just out of this world in the end we'd save money oh yeah yeah Tons. huge yeah yeah um really hard to be sober and abstinent when you're homeless or when you're living somewhere where you're getting the crap beat out of you by your by your significant other you know a lot of problems to solve for i think one of the one of the global things that i've kind of been teaching and training on and thinking about is to do trauma informed court um and to and that's true in in treatment court and that's true in every court you got um a huge percentage of our folks coming in and you can't tell you can't look you can't see until you start screening have have significant trauma histories and a lot of what we do triggers that trauma history and we're not you don't grow unless you're in a safe place. And if your courtroom isn't a safe place and you're asking people to grow, that's crazy. So, you know, and especially the whole trauma-informed care is, yeah. you know, the way we look at it. And we started, not right away in our program, but we started to get ACE scores on all of our patients mm-hmm. just to get us a little bit ahead. And, you know, some pa- patient, patients filling out that 10 questions is triggering and that, that takes longer. But how long does that take? Because, you know, for us... You know, our intakes, we can take an hour, whatever. We have time to figure that out. And over time, you finally work through these things. But we're really constrained with time in the clinic, of course. Yeah. How much time do you have with each of these clients? I Six mean, years. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but, but I mean, each time did, you see I, them, like, you know, you have to get that buy-in. You have to get them to trust you, yeah, yeah. which takes, I'm sure, you know, how much time do you have with them each time in court? Isn't so, it just like an hour? Yeah, when they come in on phase one, so the first four months to whatever, they see me weekly. So okay. they come in weekly. But remember, we've got probation, we got case managers, we got treatment. So, so a lot of our assessments kind of stage out over time. We do some intake assessments, but then you're going to uh, treatment or therapy and that. We don't take, probation doesn't do an ACEs score. That's not probation's business. That's that's treatment Training. side. That's that's therapy side. Um, so I've got I've got a long horizon with these folks, and and you phase folks to try to match kind of a stable, quick stabilization, stabilization, and then you know get a job, get connected, find housing. You know, kind of a, a layered long approach. So you get information from all those people, kind of yeah. feeded to you. Feed it. Is that a word? Fed to you. <laughs> Your liberal arts. <laughs> yeah. It gets right. Yeah. It gets fed to you in a way. And do your clients understand that? And are they comfortable with you having the knowledge of their histories? Yeah, and and it's a two edge. It's it's a it's a yes no kind of thing. Um, I don't need to know a bunch of that stuff, and treatment doesn't tell me a bunch of that stuff. 
I, I don't I really I don't want to know what you're talking about with your therapist. You don't want me to know that. I want to know I need to have a sense of who you are and how you're doing and how we can work together to to kind of motivate your path and your process. Um, I assume everybody coming in front of me has a has an ACE score of nine. Sure. That's probably not true, but it's more true than not. But it doesn't hurt me to treat somebody with an ACEs score of one with care, consideration, transparency, choice, voice, safety. These are there's nothing in a trauma informed approach that's bad for anybody. That's true. Right? So it can be an operating model. I don't know I don't know I have to know your ACEs score at all. Right. So, so you. So kinda, his is zero. I'll just throw so, that out uh, there. Uh, <laughs> so we just dipped our toe into the mental health side here, and Boy, and obviously I don't have any qualifications you, there. Well, now they're discouraged. Yeah, well, <laughs> Ace you, to score zero. You know. But you know, I think that um, you know when we look at this, and obviously in what we do in addiction, uh, there's an enormous amount of mental health. Yeah. And some of the mental yeah. health is much more um, treatable, if you will. And, but then you also have personality disorders. You've got all these other things that obviously would affect how people do in your court. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, is that, is that something you're made aware of? Yes. Some of yeah, the mental yeah. health diagnoses? Yep. Yeah. 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 Kind of raw diagnoses. And, and for a couple of years, we didn't have a, a psychologist on our team, and we struggled. We did an evaluation, a little in-house evaluation that showed we weren't doing a good job connecting people with mental health. Um, so we got a psychologist on board, and that ability to be able to translate personality disorders to us and explain it made a world of difference. Because yeah. you know, dealing with dealing with uh, borderline, borderline and yeah. antisocial, and we've had narcissistic personality disorder, which is super challenging. Yeah. Um, even being able to deal with that. Is so huge. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge that yeah. personality disorder thing. So yeah. a therapist in our community who I know very well, she tends to question any personality disorder and those diagnoses and has a really hard time giving those diagnoses for the fact that she thinks a lot of them are actually just severe persistent PTSD. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they should really be... Read Vessel Band... Vessel van der Kolk and well, all that, yeah. That's right? the Bible that right? Bert, of course, hasn't read. But Yeah, no, totally true. And and functionally, for me, it's it's all about my reactions and just learning how to handle and roll with. I don't have to diagnose you. I will, tr- you know, I'm going to hook you up with whatever treatment can work. But functionally, folks who are, are, are you know, kind of triggering PTSD or what we'd call personality disorders can be really hard to deal with. See, right? I find it interesting when you talk to a patient who might have that diagnosis of borderline because they're more challenging in certain regards to flip that around and say, don't you think it could be? And then if you give them PTSD, it's not like giving them an out and they think that they are, you know, a veteran, but giving them the, you know, I don't think this is a, because a personality disorder is mm. harsh to hear it's that you have harsh. that. Yeah, and it's like eternal and it's this huge, yeah. And versus you had trauma and you're dealing with it and that's how you're externalizing that trauma. And I feel like that's a lot easier. Right, right. Now, with that and like and with what we do to have the ability to connect with people that way that's a lot more time than the typical person spends you know like i get calls and texts from some of my patients off hours and you know that is extra time so i'm assuming even you know in your line of work and what you do 
you're investing a lot more in your clients than the average yes. treatment court or the average judge. Average court, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we I'm not kidding. We keep people for six years. So um, how do you balance that with life? Uh, not very well. Okay, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious how you oh, do that. Oh, man. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's my answer. <laughs> that was deep. Right? Very well. So... You know, the other thing, let, let me talk about PTSD for just a little bit. He interrupted you. Now I Sorry. love this. No, <laughs> I think it's it's really helpful uh, to to approach people's behavior with curiosity mm-hmm. and and empathy and understanding. A lot of what I see clients engaging in, whether it's shutting down or exploding or, or different, that's a survival skill they learned back in the day, and it it's may have saved their life, right? Mm-hmm. So let's look at that and let's, let's, you know, some people, you can get frustrated, you can get angry with that, you can start yelling at, let's, let's be curious about that. I'm not going to be a therapist and kind of dig into it, but let's be curious about why that's a, a, a pattern that, that you do. You know, I have clients trying to get licensed and the Minnesota uh, Drivers Bureau makes it almost impossible to get licensed. That's true. And if your childhood trauma taught you to shut down, Having to call the Minnesota DMV 165 times before somebody answers your call might make you shut down. Just wow. the better. Right? It'll make any of us shut down. Think if think if your go to, if your learned skill, if your if your trauma survival is freeze, mm. you're going to roll that out, and we can you know you can get mad at them, but why not take take a step back and be curious about it? Mm. Interesting. I'm going to just change. No, no, I, oh, I actually there. didn't. Uh, you know, we're, down. we're obviously a stone's throw from Wisconsin. And I, to be clear, I'm not suggesting we throw stones at Wisconsin <laughs> <laughs> normally. Um, but, you know, from state to state, uh, I mean, we're literally miles from Wisconsin. Is it different there? Yeah, yeah. Judicial systems are different. Legal systems are different. Cultures are different. Yeah, it's different. How and do you standardize that federally? So that everybody gets right. the same shake. I don't wow. know. That, I don't know that you. I told you. Good question. <laughs> I, yeah, most of this is state stuff, state law, state resources. You know, when you travel around and talk to, uh, you know, look at what treatment capacity communities have. Some have nothing. I mean, That's I taught. True. I taught some folks in Arkansas. Um, God bless them. They're doing their the work, but the nearest treatment facility is a hundred miles away. A mm-hmm. hundred miles. You know, oh. I, yeah. So it's it's local, it's state, it's federal. It, yeah, it's and I don't really think tough. people realize when a person has to travel that far, like in our world, like have, they have to go to a methadone clinic daily. They have to go to treatment right. that far away. Right. That actually costs more money on the you know the system with you know the taxpayers paying for that round trip. Well, and the follow up uh, percentage is like low. Right. And low. how do you maintain that? You know, you if don't. I told you you had to drive. 200 miles. Oh, and you don't have a license. Mm, or money you know, to buy gas. Four times a week. Yeah, you're getting set up to Who's get taking care of your kids? Who's taking, yeah. That's one of the fascinating things about, I know you guys know something about COVID. Oh, That's no. one of the fascinating <laughs> things is that everything's going Zoom and online. And some of that's going to be really, really valuable going forward. Really valuable because the door has swung open and now you got people who and get treatment and therapy. Yeah, if, if they, they have access if to they have access, that 
right. technology. Right. Phones, minutes, stuff like that really matters. I was texting with the mayor uh, a couple of months ago. I said, you yeah, know, we really need citywide free Wi-Fi. And she's like, yeah, I know, but it's a big, big deal. But, you know, yeah, that access question raises its head a million times. Plus, I think you, you've got to look at once the COVID's over, and I, I don't talk about COVID because I get in trouble for that, but mm-hmm. I'm in my box. Uh, but No, remember, we're not box. getting paid right now to do this podcast. You oh. can say whatever you want. Oh, okay. But I think that... <laughs> I think that there's going to a lot of the people now that can get paid for their services done over Zoom. If that suddenly goes away again, we're right back. Yeah, I hope that. Yeah, that's the question. Is that window, is the regulatory or funding window going to slam back shut? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to tell people, oh, you got to drive 100 miles. Again. Yeah, I, that that's the that's, fear. Yeah. I hope that it's fear. changing. And, and I'm not I mean, I, I and the research says it works as well in a lot of contexts. It's super. I'm doing Zoom court all day, and it wears you out. It's yeah. hard. It's, it's hard. You know, it, I like the balance of Zoom and in person and clinic, yeah. but there's a balance. Yeah, yeah. Okay. but it's a tool that that could really help our folks a lot. Okay, we're gonna we're running out of time, and so I'm gonna ask the final question. Oh, is this the final? <laughs> oh, is this the final? Is it about pangolins? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's there. Back to COVID. <laughs> wow. No, and maybe this won't be. Maybe this will trigger other questions, but. With the passion and everything, so we do a ton of advocacy work, both at state and federal level. Right, right. And from your, you know, position as a judge, like that's who you see in offices and in the government. Like, have you ever thought about running for something bigger? I have thought about it. I, the mm. way the way the way elections work and the way you have to campaign and have to raise money and raise money and raise money kind of throws me a little bit. I get it. You know, Mm -hmm. but I've thought about that a lot. I I actually have. um, Why are you going to run against him? Yeah. No, I was thinking about running with him. So the last time we were in DC or actually I was in DC, you didn't get to go on that trip. Please stop. And one of the lobbyists for our health system, which again, this, none of our views have any reflection on our health system, but she was like, you need to run for office and I will be your like campaign person or whatever. I'm not sure I could vote for you, but. (laughs) But no, I. Yeah, how do you change the system and how do you advocate more broadly? And it's hard to think, okay, I'm going to go to that level and then that guilt of what am I leaving behind in these people that I'm working with. Yet the bigger picture is you could help more people, but there is, again, that balance that how do you navigate that? Even as a state representative or senator, I mean, it's hard to make the impact because you got people. I mean, it is. I mean, we're down there a lot, and it's hard to make change, man. And, yeah, and, and the polarization, and I'm yep. like, wow. And and to be honest, you know, with the kind of stuff that we're advocating for, uh, and that's very similar to what you advocate for, uh, it it's tough to get people to completely buy in. And it, you got, you know, you. I'm a pragmatist. Show me what works. I'm gonna do it. Right. I. I. You know. And if it stops working, I'm going to stop doing it. I, do, I, I don't feel like I should be ideological about what works or what doesn't work. I mean, just data. follow the data, follow the darn research. I've had people on my team who have been reluctant to follow the data, and we'll have a, we'll have a little sit down. I'm like, in this court, we follow the research. 
and we're not going to go the way that you're pushing to go because the research is really clear. You know? Now, when you have a sit down, is it on the bench or do you have a chair? <laughs> just, I mean, I didn't. Uh, it's a chair. It's a chair. Okay. Chair. Have yeah, you, been, have I don't, you, you guys haven't been in my office. No. no. Oh, yeah, I've got these nice cushy chairs. Not that I we can talk about. Unless you get, get the sit down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know, and people are all coming from their own place. I get it. But, yeah, you got you to gotta do. I don't know where you are if you're unwilling to follow the research. Well, and, and you know, in addiction, um, the research is clear, right? Yeah. I mean, in, in especially in MAT and other things. But even right. with this right. amazing survival data, right. you have difficulty getting people to buy into that. And, and I think the drug court has that similar issue. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you're saying that addiction isn't a choice? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. <laughs> I'd like to take that addiction for 20 you're right, you're right, gonna right, right. you're gonna put that on record. It's he's not gonna, a choice. Yeah, write it down. Tattoo with that. Yeah. Yeah, write it down. It's not a choice. Yeah. So I would pay for his tattoo if he ever got That'd one. Be awesome. <laughs> no, I hate needles. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick one in you all day, but oh, no, no. That's a, yeah. that's that a the, whole nother. Is that the hypocritic oath? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Ooh, that's from a lawyer, too. Oh, Judge. baby. Judge. <laughs> well, we're going to have to let him go because he's got to go fight crime go do and help people. Fight crime. That Trying. makes well, it again sound punitive. No, but he has Trying a... do smart on crime. Do smart on crime, but he smart does have the crime. Batman mask. I am the Batman mask. So, Kind of like my, my unicorn version of life, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, Sean, we really thank you so much yeah, for doing this. This was fun. And we'll do this again sometime on more specific parts of drug court because yeah, I think there's so much for... Day. We yeah. could talk all yeah. day. Yeah. So, Especially yeah, Kurt. Kind of even understanding how staffing works, how, how the wraparound works. There's, there's a lot going on. Well, and funding. I think we could have a whole talk on just that. Right. And that's, you yeah, know. where should the money come from? Yeah. Yeah. So, show so those are money. show me the money. Those will come. Up. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening, and of course, uh, we're always online. So, uh, listen to more. There you go. Or follow on Twitter, which you can then get the updates. It's at Echo CSCT. Cool. You're right. going to introduce Battle Legs. Oh well, and we'll let the band finish this up. So, thanks again. Have a good day. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, yeah.